This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day one of the 60-day legislative session. The House Speaker and Senate President start the show by laying out their agendas. That's followed by a joint session where the governor delivers his State of the State message. The saber-rattling has already begun. On the eve of the session, Governor Ron DeSantis joined Republican leaders to announce bills to crack down on China for interfering in Florida. We need to take action, stand firm against the Chinese Communist Party and foreign influence and interference in American research, education, and public affairs. Democrats say this is part of a campaign to own the libs this year. GOP leaders are also refusing to schedule any of the bills for social justice and police reform that have been filed by the Democrats. So none of the bills are moving uh, at this point. However, we have bills that would deal with council culture. It's those kinds of bills that are moving while bills related to social justice and police reform are not being placed on the agenda. Now that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been approved, the governor has signed an executive order allowing people 50 and older to be vaccinated, but only certain people. It depends on your job. An executive order uh, to expand vaccine eligibility to all sworn law enforcement officers age 50 and above, all firefighters age 50 and above, and all K-12 school personnel age 50 and above. But the governor's executive order also changed the policy for vaccinating people under 65 with severe medical conditions. A note from the doctor is no longer enough. The governor's complaining about the new COVID rescue bill in Washington. DeSantis says Florida is being shortchanged because its economy is improving. And he doesn't want states that are still suffering to get any more than Florida. States like Florida that have lower unemployment are getting penalized. States like New York and California who have higher unemployment are benefiting. They're getting a windfall. That is completely unfair. The Sierra Club of Florida just issued its 2020 report card for the governor. Their top concern is the climate crisis. While it is more difficult to see the carnage of the climate crisis than the impact of the COVID pandemic, the reality is the climate crisis will end up being more impactful on our society than even the pandemic has been. The governor ended up with a grade of D-. State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, who may run against DeSantis next year, didn't do much better. Sierra gave her a C-. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man who sliced off another man's penis after he found it in his wife. But first, a message from the sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, March 3rd. This is National Old Stuff Day, National Read Across America Day, and it's Dr. Seuss's birthday. You can honor all three by simply reading Green Eggs and Ham. On this date in 1965, the U.S. Air Force launched Operation Rolling Thunder, a three-year bombing campaign against North Vietnam. In 1974, a grand jury concluded that President Richard Nixon was involved in the Watergate cover-up. In 1988, the Flaming Basketball was adopted as the official logo of the Miami Heat. And on this date in 1994, Miami created a Latin Walk of Fame. The first star honored, Gloria Estefan. Florida's Department of Health reported 1,700 new cases of COVID-19 Monday. That is the lowest daily number since October 5th. That is great news. 
There is, of course, a caveat. Mondays are usually days with fewer cases than other days of the week because fewer people work in labs and enter data on the weekend. The state also announced 150 new fatalities. Our death toll has reached 31,556. Now that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is on the way, the governor has followed through with his promise to expand the vaccination program. Seniors are still first in line, but the governor's latest executive order opens the door for teachers, cops and firefighters age 50 and older. Because we think we're going to get J&J this week and because we are starting to see higher allocations of the Pfizer we're also going to see these federal sites open up in four different parts of our state this week. Uh, I'll be signing an executive order uh, to expand vaccine eligibility to all sworn law enforcement officers age 50 and above, all firefighters age 50 and above, and all K-12 through school personnel age 50 and above. And if you look at those numbers, the law enforcement and fire, some of them already got it because we focused on first responders. Um, you're talking about 20,000, 25,000 people maybe. Uh, and then with the schools, we probably could do all of that 50 up, K-12 personnel and police fire with just our J&J shipment. But the governor's new executive order has muddied the waters for people with severe medical conditions that make them vulnerable to the virus. On Friday, the governor signed an order making them eligible for shots. He modified that Monday, saying a note from the MD is not enough. The doctor must now certify that the patient meets defined eligibility criteria for the vaccine. And those criteria have not been made public yet. On the eve of the legislative session, Governor Ron DeSantis and GOP leaders announced new legislation to combat foreign influence and corporate espionage in Florida by targeting the commies. Over the last decade, the Communist Party of China has been meticulous and deliberate in their economic infiltration across the globe. The growing presence of the Chinese Communist Party influence in domestic and international affairs is one of the most pervasive threats to American security and prosperity. The Chinese Communist Party has made it a mission of their global expansion of power to steal intellectual property from our businesses, our government, and our academic institutions, all to further fuel their global objectives. We need to take action, stand firm against the Chinese Communist Party and foreign influence and interference in American research, education, and public affairs. Today, Florida will take a leading role by proposing important steps to address past, current, and future concerns of the Chinese Communist Party and other foreign influence in the governmental, economic, and academic affairs of our state. House Speaker Chris Sprouls is leading the charge for these bills. He says the tactics used by China are right out of a James Bond novel. You know, there are nations that spurn our freedom, yet yearn for our innovation, that seek to corrupt our institutions, exploit our openness, and steal the products of American ingenuity. Foreign adversaries use our university system. They use our local governments, research institutions, and companies to intimidate, influence, and steal their way to a strategic advantage. They set up foreign propaganda missions in the United States under the guise of benign-sounding cultural agreements and twist the utopic notion of international exchange into a weapon of coercion and bribery. Their agents work under the cloak of darkness, enact their schemes, but today we work to bring sunshine and transparency to combat those shadowy tactics. Their spies will be met with justice and their deception with accountability. That sounds like an Ian Fleming novel, but in fact, here in Florida, it is very real. China is engaged in an aggressive propaganda and espionage campaign right here in the state of Florida. China is not the only target. Representative Erin Grawl says her bill singles out seven different countries. There are foreign governments and companies that want to steal our research, 
and secrets and do us harm. They have developed elaborate layers of front companies and groups to hide their true intentions. Our bill will require three main things. Institutions of higher learning, public agencies, and political subdivisions will disclose all foreign gifts above $50,000. Any private entity applying for a state grant or contract will disclose whether they are working with specific countries of concern. And it will prohibit state agencies, political subdivisions, public schools, and state colleges and universities from entering agreements or accepting donations to promote the language and culture of Syria, Iran, North Korea, China, Venezuela, Cuba, and Russia. Backers of these bills have legitimate concerns, especially about China. But Representative Evan Jenny of Broward wonders if this has more to do with national politics than anything going on in Florida. They are what they are. Uh, I noticed they didn't include any fascist countries in there. Um, This is just a continuation of uh, campaign rhetoric. Um, It's not going to improve many people's lives. Uh, We are in the middle of a pandemic that has claimed 31,000 deaths. Um, And uh, to me, this is just, you know, this is political theater. Uh, It probably polls well, uh, would be my guess. Uh, And uh, that's what we'll do with it. Uh, you know, the bill itself, it's it's kind of whatever, you know, but it, but that's not what it's there to do. It's there to rattle people's cages. It's clearly just a continuation of uh, campaign rhetoric. And it's a shame because we have a lot of people that are suffering and our time would be much better spent doing things that would impact tens of millions of Floridians on a day-to-day basis. The China bills are the latest part of the GOP plan to own the libs in the upcoming session, but House Bill Number 1, Combating Public Disorder, is the centerpiece. It's their response to last summer's protest by the Black Lives Matter movement. Representative Jenny says a half-dozen bills filed by Democrats that focus on social justice and police reform are being ignored as Republican leaders rush ahead with their bill to make it easier to lock up protesters. The, the short answer of that is no, they're not being heard. Um, I uh, have feared this, uh, that they would not be getting hearings, Um, but our members that have filed those bills are going to keep pushing and and trying to get them heard. Uh, And then look, we have the amendatory process as well. When bills come to the floor, uh, they'll come into play there as well. Uh, But as of right now, I do not know of any of them having been heard. And and that is that is disappointing um, because so many people on, on both sides of the aisle have readily admitted uh, that something needs to be done in police reform and, and uh, uh, criminal justice reform as a whole. Representative Geraldine Thompson of Orlando is sponsoring one of those social justice bills. It would create a state registry of all the excessive use of force complaints filed against individual police officers. And Thompson says GOP leaders don't even want to discuss it. That bill has been referred to committee, but has not been scheduled, even though I have asked. We have other bills that relate to demilitarizing the police not giving military uh, tanks and weapons to police officers who are supposed to protect and serve, but in fact appear to be an invading force when they go into certain communities. So none of the bills are moving uh, at this point. However, we have bills that would deal with council culture. Uh, They're postulating that on colleges and university campuses, dissenting voices, conservative voices are being stifled. Now, there's no evidence that that's the case, but they want a study, an expensive study, uh, really to prove what they are convinced is occurring. So it's those kinds of bills that are moving, while bills related to social justice and police reform are not being placed on the agenda. 
While the police reform bills are going nowhere, the anti-riot bill cleared its second House committee on Monday. The governor is not happy with the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill approved by the U.S. House that is pending in the Senate. There's a lot of money in that plan to help state and local governments pay the bills that have piled up during the pandemic. But DeSantis says Florida will not be getting enough. Typically, when you do something like that, you look at percentage of the population, you divvy it up, and then you send it. So Florida, 6.5% of the population we would get six and a half percent of what, what you're going to do. And look, if you want to send it, don't send it. That's fine. But if you're going to send it, it should be fair. And we shouldn't be penalizing states for doing a good job. But that is exactly what this bill does. Instead of using the share of the population, they are using the number of unemployed in a state, which means states like Florida that have lower unemployment are getting penalized. States like New York and California, who have higher unemployment, are benefiting. They're getting a windfall of two, three, four billion dollars. That is completely unfair. How someone in Florida would vote to penalize the state of Florida and send that money to New York and New Jersey and Illinois and California, I have no idea why you would want to do that. But as it stands right now, we would get the state of Florida $1.2 billion less than we would if they just did a straight share of the population, whereas states like New York, New Jersey, uh, Illinois, and California, and Pennsylvania would get more than their share of the population. And it probably, if they keep this formula, it will probably be even worse for Florida because we firmly expect that our 6.1% unemployment rate from December is going to be revised further down. And so that will hurt us in terms of getting uh, relief from, from this uh, bill. And again, if you don't want to send anything to states, we've made decisions. We're, we'll be able to do what we need to do. We'll figure it out. But to penalize the states that have done better uh, makes no sense. The states that get more money under the Rescue Act are the ones in the worst financial shape. Like the name says, it's a rescue. It's not a reward for states that are doing well. And State Representative Joe Geller, a Democrat from Miami-Dade, says there is still plenty of money for Florida. My understanding is that it is an amount that will be sufficient to eliminate the current projected deficit that we're facing. That's a lot of money. Whether we may not be helped as much as some other states are helped, we will certainly be helped more then other states are helped. I don't think it's a disadvantage to us if we're not the highest recipient. The bottom line is, if money comes here, that's a good thing, period. If it helps to overcome our projected deficit, that's an even better thing. And just because some other state might get more doesn't make that a disadvantage for us. The Sierra Club has issued report cards for the governor and the agriculture commissioner. Neither one will be happy with their marks. Deborah Foote says Governor Ron DeSantis earned an F on issues like growth management, water quality, renewable energy, and Everglades restoration. His overall grade was a D-. Consistent through Governor DeSantis's approach to issues is addressing the symptoms rather than the source of the problem. We must have a comprehensive plan to address the root causes of climate change by committing the state to 100% renewable energy by 2050. We also must improve water quality by stopping at the source, the fertilizer sewage that increases the frequency, intensity, and duration of red tide and blue-green algae. 
The governor continues policies that use taxpayer dollars to address the impacts of climate change and pollution rather than reducing greenhouse gases and holding polluters accountable. There is not enough money to buy our way out of this problem. On January 22nd, the governor stood in front of a pretty backdrop in Key Largo and announced grants totaling 10.4 million to Monroe County to fight rising seas. The county needs 1.8 billion. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed received an F for refusing to halt the burning of sugarcane fields in the glades and for her policies on plastics and public health. Foote says the commissioner's overall grade is a C minus. The commissioner, while faring a bit better than the governor, she has stood alongside agricultural interests over the health and well-being of ordinary Floridians, particularly those in frontline communities surrounded by burning sugar fields and farm workers harvesting our oranges. When it comes to energy, the commissioner has taken some steps to promote a transition to clean energy, but we are in a climate crisis and we need to see bold steps to move us forward. Public support is strong and she needs to use the power of her office to make the changes that will have meaningful impacts for Florida's future. David Harbeitner is political chairman of Sierra Club Florida, and he says Freed and DeSantis both have a long way to go on the issue of climate change. While it is more difficult to see the carnage of the climate crisis than the impact of the COVID pandemic, the reality is the climate crisis will end up being more impactful on our society than even the pandemic has been. We need bold policy leadership from the executive branch in order to give our future the chance it needs to be successful. The governor already recognizes one reality. Florida is going to continue to gain population. In order to ensure the carrying capacity of Florida can accommodate this growth, we must have visionary leadership that ensures our wetlands and natural environment are given the space and support to accommodate an ever greater built environment. Growth management, not unlimited sprawl, is the correct approach. Our best-in-class growth management model eroded over the past decade. Governor Scott led the dismantling of it, and Governor DeSantis continues to shirk the responsibilities to return us to good growth management policies. He should begin by seeking the repeal of the MCORS legislation. Another area where the governor's leadership has been disappointing is protecting our democracy. By supporting an expedited decision on the transition of 404 permitting and increasing the hurdle for citizens to amend the Florida Constitution, the views and preferences of Florida citizens are being throttled. Unfortunately, the governor's anti-mob legislation continues this assault on citizens' participation in our governance. Commissioner Freed has been the sole voice on the cabinet to voice the appropriate concerns around the negative impacts of the state's approach to both MCORS and the state and federal agencies' agreement to move Section 404 permitting from the Army Corps to the Florida Department of Environmental Protection. Each of these actions irreparably harm Florida's health, both our human and natural systems. Not only are strong actions needed by the commissioner to stop these runaway trains, she should also look to leverage her relationship with the federal government to ensure Florida is given the appropriate protections and financial support it needs as the third most populous state, which also contains the most coastline and wetlands of any state in the continental United States. Commissioner Freed is gearing up for a campaign against Governor DeSantis when he runs for re-election next year. These report cards won't help either one of them. Your calendar of events is next, plus the story of a Florida man who's going to jail for removing something he found inside his wife. But first, a word from the sponsors. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. 
Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Your sunrise calendar begins at 9.30 when the state Senate convenes for the session. That's followed by the House at 10. The joint session begins at 11 as the governor delivers his State of the State speech. At 1, the House Finance and Facilities Subcommittee takes up a plan to establish a system to track complaints about insurance coverage for behavioral health services. The House Regulatory Reform Subcommittee meets at 1 to talk about a plan to block occupational licensing by local governments. The Senate President, Wilton Simpson, holds a media availability at 1. At 1.30, the Senate Commerce Committee takes up a high-profile bill to provide COVID-19 legal protections for business. The House Speaker, Chris Sprouls, holds a media availability at 3.15. At 4, the Senate Children, Families and Elder Affairs Committee takes up a bill that would prevent children under the age of 7 from being arrested. The Senate Criminal Justice Committee meets at 4 to take up a bill that increases criminal penalties for people who assault public transit workers. The House Commerce Committee meets at 4 to take up a plan to crack down on technology companies. It would prohibit social media companies from blocking political candidates, even if they lie and spread disinformation. And at 4, the House Pandemics and Public Emergencies Committee takes up a bill that would shield health care providers from coronavirus lawsuits. Finally today, a Florida man gets 20 years in prison for cutting off another man's penis. 49-year-old Alex Bonilla caught his wife having sex with the victim. A few days later, he showed up at the guy's house with a gun and a pair of scissors. He snipped the dude's penis and actually took it home with him. Along with a 20-year prison sentence, Bonilla was ordered to pay a quarter million dollars in restitution. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 